Sword and Laser is brought to you by you. If you get a dollar's worth of value from the show, how about giving us a dollar back? Head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but we are so very much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of sci-fi and fantasy, and of course, amazing discussions from fans just like you. And today, we are very excited to have back on the show author Brian McClellan. Brian, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me out. So today is a big day for you. I mean, we just launched your your brand new book, The Autumn Republic, which is the third in the we, Powder we did, We didn't launch it, Veronica. We didn't you can't launch take it. I responsibility. I helped a little bit emotionally. I like to think supportive. You know, I'm trying to do this yeah. thing here, Tom. We're all in this together. But congrats. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. It's the final book in my first trilogy, and I'm kind of blown away that I was actually able to do it. The Autumn Republic, the last book Brian McClellan will ever write. <laughs> so go buy it, because you'll never know. Obviously not the last book you'll ever write, but it is a big deal to, to close off a trilogy like that. Yeah, it is. I, uh, the, I, my wife and I went out for like a celebratory lunch, and I'm kind of sitting there, kind of d- dazed, because it's all finished. You know, two years ago, I didn't have a single book out, uh, and now I've got a trilogy. It's kind of crazy. It's oh, only been wow. two years. That's insane. Oh my gosh, I didn't even really think of that. Yeah, you're you're powering through. <laughs> they they like me to come out with books quick, so I'm doing it. Now you have you've indicated uh, that you've got another trilogy in you. Is that right? Yes, I I'm under contract for a second trilogy. Uh, it's set in the same universe, uh, all new cast characters, uh, but about ten years after the end of Autumn Republic, uh, on a different continent. Um, so it'll be standalone but supplemental at the same time. That's great. So I, I have to confess that I'm only, I'm a book behind right now, uh, but is there anything you can tell us about the story without spoiling it for me specifically about the latest book? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, that's one of those, like, it's hard to say because like a trilogy is in a lot of ways, it's a single book where, you know, the first book is, you know, the opener, the second, the second book is kind of the middle and then the third book is the climax of, you know, this of one big story, you know, one big 500,000 word story. Uh, so it's it's kind of difficult to, you know, kind of fill you in. It's not serialized like, you know, like, you know, most urban fantasy is and stuff like that. Um, but uh, basically, uh, the shit is at the fan, if you'll excuse my French. Uh, and uh, everything's just going to hell in a handbasket. And uh, we have to figure out how our heroes are going to get out of it. And this, and you are going to wrap this these storylines up. I'm sure there'll be a few yes. threads here and there, but but this is a this is the self-contained trilogy, right? Yes, it is completely self-contained. There will be a few little things that I don't wrap up that you know that you'll probably see hinted at in the next trilogy or in some of the short fiction I do in between them. Uh, but uh, just in a general sense, it's it's finished. That is fantastic. That must be, I, I know you mentioned that it's a huge relief, but was there a lot of extra pressure writing this third book, thinking about the rest of the trilogy and, and how you're going to kind of bring things to uh, to a close? You know, 
it, it's weird because I think that I had a much harder time both writing and with the release of book two than I did with book three. Uh, book two, I struggled with the writing. I had to ditch a whole bunch of it. I uh, you know, kept restarting it. Uh, and then when it was coming out, like I was an absolute nervous wreck that it was going to bomb and everyone was going to hate it. Uh, and with this book, you know, I, I definitely still have the, the stomach jitters during this launch week, but I think I'm a little more confident about it, and I think uh, I feel better uh, about people, hopefully will enjoy it, and, and it's the last one, so, you know, it's out there, and I, you know, there's nothing I can do about it, so I don't have another book coming out right after it that nobody else is going to buy because this one was terrible. Um, not that I think it is. I, I think that it's the best of the three, uh, but we'll have to see what fans think. I was really hoping that you didn't correct yourself there, and we could just title this podcast, Brian McClellan Thinks This Third Book is Terrible. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, let's just take everything out of context. Uh, well, we've got some great questions from our audience that were posted up at Goodreads. Thanks for uh, posting that on Twitter, too. That helped uh, to bring in some some good questions, more than we could probably get to today. And I apologize to folks if you don't get your question asked. Uh, but to start us off, I want to start with one from Kenny, because for anybody who doesn't know, Powder Mages... Uh, uh, which, you know, it's the Powder Mage trilogy, are a fairly unique character. Uh, and Kenny says, as most authors don't seem to blend technology with magic and classical fantasy, what inspired you to create them? Did it come out of a desire to break with the norm or something else? Uh, you know, I think I had the setting in mind first um, that, uh, you know, I wanted to go something that was very Napoleonic in feel. Uh, and then my next kind of logical conclusion was okay so what's different about this era than uh you know than a medieval fantasy and the biggest thing because you still have that very hint of the old politics of nobility and all that stuff uh in the time period even though it's all ending um you still have it uh so that wasn't really a big change the big change seemed to be war in warfare uh, and that was the gunpowder. And I thought, okay, well, how would magic change as the technology advances? Uh, and then the gunpowder kind of, you know, that made sense. It was, you know, kind of a that just that logical progression. And speaking of of era, actually, um, Ev, uh, Evgeny says uh, the Powder Mage series is much closer to our world in terms of technology than most fantasy books. Do you, Brian, have plans, concrete or not, to take the series into the near future and show off Powder Mages with perhaps machine guns? Uh, to you know, kind of do the Brandon Sanderson thing where I jump ahead a couple hundred years. Yes, uh, exactly. You know, it's one of those things that kind of jumps around my head from time to time, but there's no concrete plan that I have that, that I've fallen in love with enough to actually do it. Um, you know, I've got three more books in me, and I already have those planned out and what's, you know, what era that will be in, which will be pretty much the same. It'll be advanced a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, more like, you know, 1830s instead of 1815 kind of thing. Um, but... Uh, there's not really going to be any difference, and and right now I don't I don't think that I'm going to do that, uh, but it's a fun you know thought thought concept to just kind of play around with. Yeah, it's it's funny we just uh, we we just will be talking to Peter V. Brett in several weeks at the end of March, uh, and and uh, it's all it's all regarding time travel and his books are taking the opposite right. It's is a society that was formerly technological, and then magic came in. And got rid of it. Uh, mm -hmm. Your your books are are 
or taking the other aspect, which is magic is actually benefiting from the advent of technology. And and that leads me to a, a question from Sky. He wants to know what the scope of the Powder Mage series or slash universe uh, as you currently have it uh, is. And Michael wants to know if you, you have any plans for after the second Powder Mage trilogy. Um, I mean, in terms of scope, it's... Uh... It, it's a world I kind of has always envisioned it as a world very much like ours in the 1800s, um, where it's relatively explored, but there are still things that the, the 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 modern person, the modern man, does not know about and does not you know and is trying to explore, and that you know there there are the deep parts of the continents that you know that they could still find, and uh, you know there there are things out there that people don't know about. Um, and uh, it makes it because you know that makes it more fun to explore. Uh, you know today's society we live in a uh, an age of information where everybody knows everything, uh, and if you don't, you can find out within seconds. Uh, and that's not how it was. You know in the 1800s, it was uh, you know you could you could come back from a voyage and tell people that you know you saw these crazy creatures and they'd probably believe you uh, because they don't know any better. Uh, and I that's there's kind of something romantic in a way about that. And in a fantasy world, those, you know, crazy creatures you saw are probably real. Uh, and that's, you know, that's quite a lot of fun. I was going to say, even in the 1980s, we didn't ha as much have that kind of technology, though. I guess we knew a little bit more about the rest of the world than you would in the 1800s. That's true. That's true. Um, in, in terms of after Powder Mage, the second uh, series, uh, I don't have anything planned. Uh, I, I'm currently developing with a, uh, a uh, independent developer a tabletop RPG. Oh, fair. Um, that will take place uh, right before the first series mm -hmm. um, on a different continent. Um, so it's going to be very uh, analogous to um, the frontier, uh, uni uh, the frontier colonies. Uh, the you know former United before it was the United States. Gotcha. That um, sounds fun. So, uh, but with powder mages and you know privileged and sorcery and all that stuff. Um, so I'm working on that. So working backwards, kind of. Get, you get to do a, a bit of a of a western take, I would imagine, in that case. It's it, you know it's it's going to come off a little western. Uh -huh. um, you know I don't want to do it too strongly because. It, you kind of already had like Red Country from Joe Abercrombie mm -hmm. had that very strong Western vibe, uh, and so I don't. I'm not going to do it overtly, um, but uh, you'll get very much that you know frontier explorer, you know, you know, lots of lots of endless tracts of land to find and you know natives and you know creatures and all sorts of things. I got uh, it for you. I got the name. Ready? Yes. Powder Pilgrims. Powder Pilgrims. Ooh, that's good. You can use that. I'll give that to you. <laughs> oh, thanks. I thought thanks. you were going to go some, somewhere with powdered wigs somehow. <laughs> that, that could also work if we get into more like revolutionary era. Yeah. I could see I could see that happening. Um, speaking of, I no, I don't have a good segue for this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Evan wants to know, <laughs> what materials did you find particularly useful when writing the Powder Mage trilogy, like books or documentaries? I was thinking history, because I was talking about the Revolutionary War, trying to figure out a segue for that. Didn't work. Um, but yeah, Evan's <laughs> question is good. 
Um, you know, when it comes to research, I'm incredibly lazy, one, uh, which is where I write fantasy and not historical fiction. Um, and, uh, and so I tend to be kind of a, a Wikipedia researcher. Uh, if I can't find it on Wikipedia, it's not worth looking up, uh, <laughs> which is terrible for me to say, but, you know, true. Um, I, I really like getting inspiration um, that uh, uh, for, for kind of an ambiance to the story. Um, I, I took a lot from uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, the anime, uh, which I watched right before or around the time I was writing Promise of Blood, uh, and I just absolutely loved that. Um, and uh, turning you know the Powder Mage series into an anime would be so freaking cool. Uh, but uh, the um, the sh- uh, Sharp Rifles, uh, the both the BBC TV show and the books uh, were just fantastic. And really, I was watching the first Sharp mo- uh, Sharp show, the first episode, uh, and I that's kind of when it clicked. And I said, "Holy crap! I'm this is the era that I want to do my next book in." Uh, so that kind of started it all. Um, so there are lots of lots of little things have lent, uh, you know, bits and pieces to my series, uh, and I like I just kind of like to pull things that I like and you know twist them to my own needs. That's an interesting uh, question because there's obviously freedom that you have in re- creating your own world. You're not setting this in an actual historical era, so you can you can change things. But how do you walk the line of plausibility? And and know like well I have to research that I have to get that part right or else it just you know I can't magic everything away like how how do you decide how much of that research you feel like you need to get? Um, you know it's uh, because it's second world you can get away with things like you know I don't need to get you know uh, like clothing styles accurate to within the month or anything like that. Sure. Um, I uh, but there's stuff like you know I want to know what the muzzle velocity of a, of the average musket or rifle was, you know stuff like that uh, is things are things that I want to look up, uh, and uh, it's you kind of have to go with a gut feeling on it, uh, you know does this sound plausible in my world, um, it, and then I kind of I look at a difference there's kind of the scale of cool versus plausible, and you have to kind of run right in the middle and sometimes you you risk plausible for cool uh because you're writing something to entertain people uh, and uh, and i actually was called out by brandon sanderson on that a couple times uh and uh, very very lovingly he, he thought it was kind of funny uh but uh you know it's true and i i like doing i kind of like airing on the side of this sounds really awesome i think i'll do this even though it doesn't quite fit uh, you know, as I kind of mature as a writer, I'm trying to do better about making it fit and be cool. Um, but it's, you know, it's something that you have to always think about. Well, yeah, even Andy Weir, when he was writing The Martian, which he avowedly was trying to get everything exactly right, he'll say like, oh, I, I definitely fudged this and this because it wouldn't have been a very good story otherwise. Mm-hmm. So you, you, can, you kind of have to take those licenses. What I'm curious what Brandon Sanderson called you out on. Oh no, he uh it wasn't anything specific. He uh we were at a panel together on Salt Lake Comic Con and he just he just was poking fun at the fact that you know, because he, he's very strict about his uh rules of magic, uh and I am less so. Ah. Uh and he pointed that out in front of a few hundred people. You have uh, a, a more comfortable <laughs> and relaxed form of magic than Brandon Sanderson. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not so form fitting. It's, it's... <laughs> No, but it, it was you know. 
as long as it's fun. That's what matters to me. All right. Uh, Robert wants to know, uh, well, actually, Robert says, I know you're a fan of Star Wars and you've written how the Empire Strikes Back helped you finish the Crimson Campaign and the Autumn Republic. He wants to know, in what other ways has your love of Star Wars impacted your writing? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, probably a ton, um, you know, in a lot of subconscious ways. Up until I was about 18, uh, which would have been 11 years ago, uh, I read every single thing that came out in the Star Wars universe. You know, I just, you know, I read the Star Wars Encyclopedia. I read all of the young adult stuff. Uh, yeah, I just, I devoured that. Um, and then they, you know, started killing some of the characters I loved, and I had an emotional reaction to that, and I stopped reading them. Um, and uh, so, I don't know, it's, uh, it probably has influenced a ton of ways that I, I think, and um, that, uh you know, kind of approach writing, but uh, nothing I can think of off the top of my head. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, Star Wars. I mean, it's kind of formative for a lot of us in, in many ways. It's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly how that may be, but it's like any any classic sci-fi or classic fantasy. We all kind of absorb it, and, you know, you may not realize how it comes out later. Yeah, yeah. I, it was funny because I was... Um, I, oh, crap. I, I can't remember which it is. I think it was at... Uh, Gen Con last year uh, that I was sitting around with a bunch of uh, author friends and we're all chatting with this one guy and I didn't I didn't nobody introduced me to him but we're all chatting and everything and one of my friends leans over to me and says hey do you know who that is and I was like no and he goes oh that's Michael Stackpole oh. and I like I freaked out on the inside like I I have a pretty good poker face with that sort of thing I don't really fanboy very often but i just i was just squeeing like crazy yeah he's a regular at dragon con and uh he he's always around the podcasting room because he's he's in panels that are in nearby rooms it seems like and it just yeah it's crazy that you know yeah, there's mike he's just hanging out uh that's yeah, one of the wonders of those kinds of cons no but i you know i i we kind of did that little fan thing where I was like, Hey, I'm sorry. I don't want to be weird, but you know, I absolutely loved your star Wars books growing up and everything. And he was super nice. And he chatted with me for like two hours and just the nicest guy. I have to uh, recommend a book. My friend, Brian Brushwood uh, talked me into reading, which was great called the, uh, how star Wars conquered the universe, which just kind of is a great overview of all the known uh, bits about how the movies got made and how they came about. It's really good. Well, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I would actually check that out myself. And I'm more of a Trekker than a Star Wars person myself, but I, I can I can swing both ways. You do have <laughs> a picture of Jean Luc Picard behind you right now. I two pictures. <laughs> that's true. They're both oh, they're gosh, both Jean Luc Picard. Awesome. <laughs> One he's fighting <laughs> the other he's fighting he who shall not be named. All right. <laughs> Our next question uh, comes from Rob Secundus, who wants to know any recent nonfiction or historical reads that you really loved or would like to recommend. So continuing on that recommendation track. Ooh, um, I actually am terrible with uh, titles, and uh, especially when it comes to nonfiction. Uh, so uh, I, I went about a month and a half ago, I went to Half Price Books and picked up uh, just a giant stack of history books uh, concerning uh, uh, the early 1800s Americas um, because, you know, for kind of research inspiration purposes for the next series. Uh, and I, I've read through like little bits and pieces. I kind of like, I like skimming and looking at cool chapters and stuff. Uh, I've read through a bunch of them and I don't remember any of the titles. 
but uh, I, I'm a fan, especially when it comes to writing, like, an, and you want to get a feel for the era. Uh, I'm a huge fan of of finding uh, just random history books uh, and uh, and just you know kind of leafing through them and reading chapters about you know something in particular uh, that you're looking to you know get across to your readers. Well, you know, Tom used to work at Half Price Books, so <laughs> he'll probably say, be able to find those I was titles say, for Just you. describe the color. I used to work oh. the history section at Half Price Books in Austin. I could probably recognize. No. <laughs> Tom, did you know that I was going to say that? Did you? Know no, that I coming? didn't. I was about to say the same thing. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's great. I Half Price Books is one of the best places ever. When I uh, when I was at school in Utah, I was so sad that we didn't have one. I actually wrote a letter uh, to like the CEO or whatever. Um, Ken Jemry uh, or, um, yeah, like they have like a contact information for, uh, on the website. This is, you know, forever ago. And, uh, I'm sure it was read by a secretary or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I just sent, sent an email saying, Hey, uh, are are you guys considering opening a half price books in Utah? I think it would be great here. And, uh, yeah, they weren't interested. Oh, well, Tom could have opened the satellite office out there or something. Who knows? It could have been been a very different world. That's right. I guess we'll never know. Everything. (laughs) All right. uh, Our next question comes from Steve, or I'm sorry, from Andy. He says, eventually spring will be here. What will you be planting in the garden? Oh, gosh. Uh, My usual is always uh, basil, tomatoes, uh, peppers of a couple of different varieties of peppers. And, um, and then just tending to my rhubarb and uh, raspberries. Oh, raspberries. That sounds amazing. I want to eat all of those things. That, that's yeah, can we just make a salad? Yeah. I, uh, I do my own spaghetti sauce. Uh, so I basically I grow all of the vegetables in it. Uh, and then I, um, I go to Costco and get uh, giant things of spices and then make you know six or seven gallons worth of spaghetti sauce. And then you freeze it and keep it for the whole year? Uh, can it? But can yeah, it. we keep it for the whole year and have spaghetti once a week, and nice. it's amazing. Do you grow uh, garlic? Did you say? I don't grow garlic. Okay. Garlic is one of those ones you have to like plant it in the fall, and I always forget. It's mm, uh, tricky. So I wind up, and you know, you can get a giant bag of garlic for like four dollars. So yeah, it's it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, now that I'm hungry, um, Steve has a question. <laughs> he says you have one of the strongest fan bases I've seen for a relatively new author. Uh, what are some of the things you learned along the way that you could recommend to other new authors? Resources, approach. What might be a waste of time versus something well worth doing? Huh. Um. I mean, all those. That's kind of like really depends on situational kind of kind of stuff. Um. You. Uh, I, I mean, it depends on whether you're talking about in the writing or interacting with fan base or interacting with your editor, uh, you know, things like that. Um, but generally, you know, it's good to keep a sense of humor. Um, it's good to sometimes set boundaries with fans. Um, they, uh, there's, there's, there's lots of little tiny things that you kind of just learn along the way um, uh, through experience. Um you know, kind of learn to develop all the various relationships and kind of figure out whether they are professional or personal or somewhere in between mm-hmm. uh, because you kind of have to, you know, it's like any other business. Uh, you know, it's a creative endeavor, to endeavor but it is a business. Uh, so you have to kind of figure out all that stuff as you go. 
You're using Patreon, and you're you're a published author with a contract, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But you're also using Patreon to crowdfund some of your work. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. So uh, I love the concept of Patreon. Um, and originally, I kind of wanted to do a Patreon for my short fiction, um, but I uh, I because I'm very sporadic with it. I kind of write uh, a new short story or novella when I want to. Uh, and when the idea comes to me, rather than a, on a regular basis, uh, I didn't really want to use that. And then I realized that I had been kind of doing these essays over the last two years. You know, once in a while I would do an industry essay where I would talk about, uh, like one of them was uh, an author's perspective on um, on uh, book fairs. Uh, and I just talked very candidly about the experience of an author at a book fair. Um, and people seem to really like those. So I thought, okay, well, why don't I go do a Patreon where the goal of the Patreon is to fund me doing these essays once a month uh, and uh, and putting putting out an essay on uh, what it is like to be an author and kind of some of the more nitty gritty uh, of how that works. Very that's cool. great. And yeah, that's, uh, I love perspective like that. So I think that's always a really fun thing for, for authors to do because also, you know, authors are writers and it's fun to get other kinds of writing out of authors every so often, a more personal perspective a more, you know, things that we can are more relatable to our day to day rather than something in the fantastical. So I think that's, and mm-hmm. also it's just, you know, it keeps, keeps your brain flexible, I think, to, to write something outside of what you're, what you're used to writing all the time. No, it's it's definitely fun. I mean, uh, actually, that touches on a really good point, um, and it's one of the reasons I do my short fiction is uh, it's a good it's it's a good mental exercise to work on something other than you know slogging through a novel, um, you know, to just you know, try to do something that's a little more I don't know an- analytical, um, you know, because you you're kind of with these essays I'm trying to do you know very very analytical kind of by the numbers sort of thing, but also give a very personal. Uh, and private kind of um, introspective of it. Um, like like the first essay I did, which was last month, uh, was the psychology of being a full-time author. Um, and I had a bunch of my author friends say that that was spot on and that they had very similar experiences and people seemed to really like the essay. So I seemed to work so far. So hopefully I can keep doing these and uh, be able to come up with new and interesting things to talk about every month. All right, our penultimate question. We've been saving this for the end. It's the hardest hitting question we have from Michael. When will you conquer the world with your bee army? <laughs> I'll need a few more bees, actually. Uh, I would it, actually love someday to uh, own like a full apiary um, and kind of more on. I don't actually want to do it myself uh, because I'd love to keep the me doing beekeeping personally as a hobby. But I would love to own a business like you know and you know actually you know, own a few hundred hives and produce local honey and you know sell it at local fairs and stuff like that. I think that would be really cool. So you you have you are a beekeeper at, at, at home. I am a beekeeper. Yes, I have one hive sitting in the very back of my backyard that uh, last year I got 30 pounds of honey out of. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, a friend of mine keeps bees. It's very popular in San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. And we got a jar of her her most recent uh, output, and it was delicious. So uh, it's, uh, it's homegrown, homegrown awesome. honey. It's so much better than store-bought. Oh, it's so good. 
<laughs> now I'm super hungry. Our final question is from Jiri, who says, uh, or Yuri, is it just me, or does the guy from the Promise of Blood book trailer look like Jeremy Irons? Could you elaborate? And also, I feel like maybe we've talked about this before. I, I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this before, but if anybody else uh, is curious, um, so the guy on the front of the, uh, in the book trailer is actually, uh, it's the same guy from the covers, uh, and uh, he was Pierce Brosnan's stunt double for the James Bond movies. Um, and uh, one of the reasons they got him was because they asked me about character inspiration and stuff, and Field Marshal Tomas, in my head, was always Jeremy Irons. Um, and uh, so, you know, they kind of went with something on. close to that. Yeah. yeah, so, yep, that's very close, and that's why. Do you get a, a lot of input into the book covers? Um, you know what, I, my input to the, uh, from what I understand, I get more than a lot of authors. Uh, I kind of, I have a good dialogue with my editor where they, my publisher asks me a ton of questions and really wants my opinions and thoughts and then goes and does whatever they want. Uh, but so far, whatever they want has been both amazing and, uh, you know, not that far off from my own you know, in my head kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I've loved it. I have, I've had no complaints whatsoever. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Of course, as we mentioned, uh, his latest, The Autumn Republic, is out now in stores, and we want to get people to buy it so we can shoot up those Amazon charts, those Kindle charts and whatnot. Uh, we're very excited for you. Congrats on wrapping up the trilogy. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. And, of course, if you love Brian's work, you can help support him and his essays over at patreon.com slash McClellan. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, I've got a little extra pocket change uh, hanging out in your back pocket. You can also support us at patreon.com slash swordandlaser or just get in touch with us at feedback at swordandlaser.com. The website is swordandlaser.com, and all of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.